Welcome back, listeners, for Circulating Space's ninth episode, Restless Readers and Global Publishing. Uh, and we are with our guest, uh, Nathan Rostron. I'm Christian Howard. I'm Ankita Chakrabarti. Circulating Spaces is a podcast dedicated to exploring what it means to engage with literature as a global community. Coming at you from the University of Virginia and the Public Humanities Lab, generously funded by the Institute of the Humanities and Global Cultures. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. It seems that we're already in the hectic part of the semester as things start to wrap up. Uh, so what exciting things have you been up to, Ankita? Working on my dissertation chapter, basically. Nothing too exciting. <laughs> How about you, Christian? Uh, I've been working on an ArcGIS encoding project, which is pretty cool. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's nice. I'm going through all, all this data. Um, but otherwise, I'm getting pretty excited about the upcoming holidays. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, on that note, let's introduce our guest, Nathan Rostron. Nathan is an editor and marketing director of the publishing firm Restless Books. Welcome, Nathan. Hi, thanks. Great to be here. So um, let's just start with the interview. Um, could you tell us a little bit about, about Restless Books? What's the vision behind the company? Sure. Um, we are a, a small, independent, nonprofit publisher of international literature uh, based in Brooklyn. We started the company in 2013 as an ebook company. Um, 2013 was a moment when ebooks were, uh, you could, they were inescapable. Everyone was freaking out about ebooks in the publishing industry, thinking that the end of the book was nigh. Um, so that was kind of the milieu in which it started. Um, it was co-founded by our publisher, Elon Stavins, and by Joshua Ellison, who at the time was running a literary magazine called Habitus for uh, the literature of diasporas. And the two of them met and started talking about how few books are translated into English and thought, well, what if we just started our own publishing company? Um, and so at first, ebooks were a way to start a business with very low overhead. Um, and then when I showed up as a marketing director in 2014, it became quickly apparent to me. And by 2014, when I showed up, ebooks were uh, already kind of declining, at least in terms of. Um, you know, the idea that the ebook was going to be the dominant mode of reading hmm, yeah. started to fade away, thank God. So <laughs> we decided to start printing books because books are beautiful and they should be on shelves and they should be in bookstores. And um, and so we, we did. And that was 2015. We started publishing uh, printed books as well as ebooks. Wonderful. Yeah. I've... Um I mentioned I'm part of the Restless Readers Club, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But um, so I, oh, yeah, yeah, I I love receiving uh, the Restless books, and they're beautiful. They're I mean they're just wonderful to to hold and like feel and stuff. Yeah, so I love the feel of the books too. Yeah, we were just looking at um, at the covers, and they they just like look so amazing. I would definitely love to have a few of them on my shelf. Yeah, yeah, we definitely invest a lot in our covers, um, both philosophically and monetarily. It's <laughs> uh-huh. often um, it's often one of the biggest expenses that we huh. mm-hmm. uh, pay out just because, I don't know, I think it's important. It's a first impression. Um, and also, like, you're going to spend time with that book cover yep. for like several weeks or even a matter of months. Mm-hmm. And no one likes an ugly book cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with <laughs> right. you. Yeah. So how long have you worked at Restless Books? 
So I joined in uh, January of 2014, uh, so it's been about four and a half years now. Um, and uh, it's been kind of a wild ride. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of changes, a lot of learning, a lot of discovery. You know, it was my first job in marketing. Um, everybody else in the company, it was their first job in publishing, and so we all kind of learned together. That sounds amazing. Cool. Um, and so now we're doing probably between 12 and 15 books a year, um, and they're distributed all around the world. We, are, we have a distributor. Um, uh, it's Simon & Schuster, actually. So <laughs> they help our books get everywhere our books are sold. Um, and then all we have to do is find great stories from all around the world that are exciting and seem timely and seem like they're telling us something new um, and then find translators and then publish them. <laughs> yeah. So how did you first get into book publishing? Uh, I, uh, in my publishing prehistory, I was um, at a fiction writing master's program in Austin, Texas. Oh, cool. And, um, I'm, I'm from Austin, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> uh, and I love loved everything about the program except writing. Uh, what I especially loved was uh, in workshops, kind of critiquing other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And finally had the idea, why don't I just try to do that in a professional way? So I moved to New York. Um, I got very lucky. I landed a job very quickly at Little Brown and Company uh, in the editorial department. Um, and I stayed at Little Brown for about four and a half years. And then I worked at um, a website uh, called bookish.com, <laughs> which was, uh, it was a super fun, uh, very ambitious uh, website that ultimately did not um, did not find its place in the, in the very crowded marketplace that is, um, you know, the digital book world. Um, I worked there for about two years kind of curating book content and doing interviews and articles and commissioning pieces uh, about books that folded in retail into the content. So you could buy the book directly from the article. And then there was a recommendation engine that worked kind of like uh, Netflix for books or Spotify for books, where you yeah. clicked in a book and it recommended other books that would like that book. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, like a lot of startups, this one didn't um, ultimately uh, you know, take off. Mm -hmm. And so I left that company in 2014 and I found Restless. Mm -hmm. So as an editor and marketing director at Restless Books, what exactly do you do? Like, what are the day-to-day -day tasks? It would be uh, quicker to say what I don't do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I kind of help guide the editorial process, um, everything from uh, fielding submissions to our editorial meetings where we discuss which books we might want to acquire mm -hmm. to scheduling um, when uh, translations are coming in, and then when we're going to be scheduling the books. On the marketing side, I am, you know, kind of designing marketing campaigns and uh, figuring out who the audiences are for each book, mm -hmm. um, crafting the copy, crafting events, and other listening materials, sending those out to 
our networks of booksellers and librarians and reviewers and bloggers and educators. Um, we're hoping to get some build up some early excitement for the books. So when they're published, we have reviews and course adoptions and all that good stuff. Um, and then uh, we're just about to hire a production manager, which is very exciting. So uh, that means that I and our wonderful editorial assistant, Allison, won't also have to do the production <laughs> for the books. Um, and yeah, uh, so it's, it's kind of it's kind of fun wearing both hats, the editorial mm -hmm. hat, like going to the book fairs, meeting with agents and publishers and kind of bringing in submissions and also selling rights for our books to other publishers. Mm -hmm. And also the marketing hat where I really get to go and meet with individual booksellers and individual reviewers and kind of pitch our list and figure out uh, which readers are reading what, figuring out how to reach um, the right audience for our books. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. So one of the things that I've really appreciated about Restless Books is its devotion to publishing contemporary writers from all over the world. Um, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely love that. And as someone who studies contemporary world literature, um, you have a really compelling mission statement. Um, and I'll, uh, I know you're familiar with this, but I'm going to read it out for um, the benefit of our listeners here. Um, okay, so this is from the Restless Books website. Restless Books is an independent, nonprofit publisher devoted to championing essential voices from around the world whose stories speak to us across linguistic and cultural borders. We seek extraordinary international literature that feeds our restlessness, our hunger for new perspectives, passion for other cultures and languages, and eagerness to explore beyond the confines of the familiar. Our books, fiction, narrative, nonfiction, journalism, memoirs, travel writing, and young people's literature offer readers an expanded understanding of a changing world. So again, I find this very compelling, um, and I'm curious, like, how do you define international literature? Like, is this literature that's not written in the United States, or is it literature that transcends national boundaries? Like, what's, what's that definition there? I define international as inclusive of hmm. the United States and inclusive of the English language. For us, um, it's really stories that swim against the mainstream, uh, stories that have something new to tell us that might be unfamiliar or from perspectives that often don't get their voices heard. So we also, in addition to our main publishing program, we run an immigrant writing prize, which is $10,000 in publication for a first-time, first-generation author. It's an international prize. So uh, to qualify, you could be an immigrant from China to India, an immigrant from South Africa to France, um, as long as it's your first book um, in the genre, either fiction or nonfiction, alternating years. Um, in terms of finding the books, um, by now uh, we are pretty familiar with um, two uh, international publishers who are publishing the original editions to agents who are representing international authors, huh. and especially to translators who themselves are always on the lookout for exciting new material um, that's coming out in the places um, that they're focused on. And so a lot of our books come to us from translators who know the Restless Mission and think, wow, I found this amazing catalog or amazing Russian book that fits right in with Restless and see what they think. <laughs> 
Interesting. So, so mostly you're you're working a lot with the translators who are then approaching you. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. And translators are incredible for one thing, but they also um, have a really strong, interesting network. Translators mm-hmm. are very connected with each other, yeah. and so when they talk to each other about a book they're interested in translating, they mm-hmm. also give recommendations for which publishers and editors might be interested in that particular book. Huh. Uh, so speaking of like the network of translators, uh, the tagline for Restless Books is a world in motion. Uh, and I've yes. been thinking about this tagline in relation to the larger work of publishers. And I'm curious as to whether Restless Books also sees its role as kind of facilitating connections between emerging international writers along with the translators. I mean, sure. <laughs> that, that sounds great. <laughs> um yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, and we do, like here in New York, we do um, throw occasional events for mm-hmm. uh, our networks of translators and mm-hmm. media and booksellers. Um, so I think uh, we can provide, you know, real three-dimensional opportunities for mm-hmm. people to meet each other. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think... Um, that's a beautiful dream. <laughs> yeah. There's also the American Associ- the American Literary Translators Association, ALTA, mm-hmm. um, that is very active and uh, force for good for translators. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. Okay, so walk us briefly through the process of publishing a book. So what happens after you receive a manuscript from the translator or from the author or whatever? Sure. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, we'll get a reader. Mm-hmm. Um if it's a language we don't speak, usually a submission comes as the original manuscript, whether it's okay. French or whatever it is, and with an English sample translation. And so we'll read the sample. If we like the sample, then we'll get someone to read the original. If we like the original, mm-hmm. um, and if we, in our network, uh, we don't have someone who reads that language, but we really like the sample and the idea behind the book, mm-hmm we will commission someone to read and write a report on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we all decide we love it, we make an offer, we negotiate a contract with the agent or the author or the foreign publisher for the book, we um, find a translator. Often it's the same translator who did the sample, but not always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes translators are uh, booked, you know, like you, it'll take six to eight months to a year to translate a book. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. When you have a, a language like Icelandic, when we acquired this wonderful Icelandic novel uh, called Land of Love and Ruins, mm-hmm. there aren't that many literary Icelandic translators. Mm-hmm. And if they're all busy, you just kind of have to wait until right, yeah, yeah. it's available. Um, but we sign up a translator, we establish a schedule with the, with the translator, we figure out which season we want to publish it in. Once we approach that season, we start to design marketing plans, um, which involves uh, writing copy for the book, uh, thinking up um, which authors and influencers we might send early copies to to get endorsements, um, and we pitch the book to our sales force at Simon & Schuster. So we go from our uh, very Brooklyn-y neighborhood of Gowanus into Midtown to the big CBS Simon & Schuster building and pitch our books to that sales force. Um, then after that, they kind of 
uh, present the book to their own sales channels. So mm -hmm. they have uh, sales reps that sell to uh, indie bookstores, to Barnes and Noble, to um, Baker and Taylor and Ingram, who are kind of wholesale distributors to libraries and um, and smaller bookstores, um, Amazon, etc. And well, then, so that's kind of starting the marketing process, editorial process. You know, when the translator delivers a manuscript, then we will edit it. We'll make galleys or advanced review copies. Um, uh, two words for the same thing, and then send them out to our connections. Um, hopefully, the author is available to come to the U.S. and do a little bit of an author tour. Hopefully, we're able to uh, get some universities funding support mm -hmm. to help fund those events and travel around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we bring out the books, we uh, make noise about it on our, on our social mm -hmm. media and in our newsletter. Sometimes we make it part of our Restless Readers Club. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, and so that's, that's kind of the whole process. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how long would you say that that process takes on average? If I get in a fantastic novel today, what is that, November of 2018, mm -hmm. um, it'll take a couple months to, like, to read it, to respond to it, to negotiate a contract, to find a translator. So then we're in January. That translator might be busy, might have other things going on. If they get it in January, hopefully they'll get us a draft of a translation by August. Mm -hmm. We will edit it and turn it into galleys. Um, you know, like the earliest we could have galleys would be, you know, next September or October, which means we would publish it in March or April. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, of the following year. Yeah. So it's, it's usually about two years from the mm -hmm. time a submission comes to us to the time that the book is out. Mm -hmm. okay. So you've already so mentioned... It requires a lot of patience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already mentioned um, the, the price for the new immigrant writing. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. That sounds really interesting. Sure. It's the brainchild of our publisher, Elon Stavins, who himself is a Mexican immigrant to the mm -hmm. U.S. He is also a professor at Amherst College. Um, he's always been a big proponent of immigrant culture. Um, and he had the idea, why don't we start a prize? And it kind of, the idea was not in response to our current president, but the development of the idea uh, happened alongside um, our current politics. And it became more and more of a kind of a important part of our mission is to stand against um, the growing xenophobia and mm -hmm. kind of anti-literary um, distrust of other cultures. Mm -hmm. I think yep. readers are naturally curious, um, which is great for us because I think readers are naturally curious to find out about a part of the world they don't know about. Mm -hmm. And um, immigrants, more broadly speaking, bring the world to others, you know, yeah. like they bring other cultures and I think the more connections you can build um, to other cultures and storytelling tra traditions, 
um, you know, I think it helps people be more broad-minded, expands the universe, it, you know, builds bridges, all that stuff. So it's just all around good. Yeah. We're trying to do good out mm-hmm. there. And the <laughs> books are often fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it was interesting after we started the prize in looking at our list um, and looking at the, the books that we have published that were originally in English, mm-hmm. um, almost all of them are written by immigrants. It just mm-hmm. happened to be that the books we were most interested in were coming from people who had that uh, dual experience or, yeah. you know, triple experience of, mm-hmm. of you know, it, it fits in with restlessness, the idea of mm-hmm. right. not wanting to just sit and passively receive the same thing, but go out in search of new stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say my my initial uh, first experience with restless books was actually through um, temporary people. Um, I, I can't pronounce the author's name. Uh, Deepak Uni, Uni Krishnan. Uni Krishnan. It, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so, so yeah, that's was that was one of my favorites, and that's what really got me uh, interested in looking more at restless books. So I. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's a book where um, so Deepak uh, lived all his life in Abu Dhabi in in the Emirates in mm-hmm. the Gulf. And his family is one of the majority that make up the population there that they consider, quote-unquote, guest workers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are immigrants. To They are brought in to work jobs, and the conditions are not very good. And when they retire, they are forced to leave the country. They're mm-hmm. never um, offered citizenship. And yeah. so he, he approached this very surreal situation of, by being a temporary person, like how do you mm-hmm. approach that through um, kind of surreal storytelling? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that uh, it's it's very darkly funny. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really brutal and sad, but kind of extraordinary mm-hmm. and um, creative. And I think he's gonna go on to do great things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that book won the. Um uh, new prize for immigrant writing as well. So it was our first winner. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what it means to be an independent nonprofit publisher? Um, so what do you do differently from say the big five publishing companies? In terms of the actual book publishing, um, you know, aside from having a very particular kind of book we want to publish, uh, that's all the same. I mean, it's largely very traditional publishing, Mm -hmm. you know, looking for manuscripts, turning them into books. Um, Operationally, it means that we can, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, which means we can accept tax-deductible donations. Mm -hmm. And it means that uh, we depend on getting government grants. We actually, just yesterday... I found out that we were receiving our first NEA grants. Oh, congratulations. Wow. That's great. great. Yeah. And they congratulated us on doing such a good job for our first application, so that mm-hmm. felt really good. Yeah, um, that's wonderful. Uh, so we rely on grants. We are still in the process of building a board who will help fundraise for us. Um, we accept individual donations. The Restless Readers Club, which is our subscription, um, is part of our... Uh, it's part of our fundraising. It's part of our, you know, helping to support the mission. Um, ideally, I think the 
the financials for a nonprofit publisher, um, a third of your overall budget is coming from your board, mm-hmm. either fundraising or you know direct funding. A third of the budget is coming from uh, grants mm-hmm. um, and individual donations, and a third is coming from book sales. And so we're still on our way <laughs> to mm-hmm. get to you know the three thirds. Mm-hmm. So um, Restless Books has several ongoing programs like the Classics Behind Bars, Immigrant Writing Workshop, and the Restless Readers Club. So could you tell us about these programs or initiatives? Sure. Um, again, this is all uh, Elon's idea. Okay. He, um, he's a man of many talents <laughs> and many activities. And so he's always coming up with new, uh, new ways of kind of, you know, bringing books to the world. So mm-hmm, sure. he started this um, uh, literature in, in, uh, for incarcerated individuals mm-hmm. program um, while at Amherst. So he started this program of uh, teaching Frankenstein to inmates. Mm-hmm. And we have, in our line of Restless Classics, we have an edition of Frankenstein that we publish. And... Um, the inmates really, really responded to it. Mm-hmm. He was so thrilled with how deeply they really wrangled with the text. And um, so the next one he's going to do is Don Quixote, which was actually mm-hmm. our That's first wonderful. restless classic. Yeah. Um, that's an ambitious book. <laughs> it's a, a thousand pages long. Yeah, yeah. it's an amazing um, book. But it just seemed like a, an interesting opportunity to help great books read, reach a community that, you know, doesn't often receive mm-hmm. great books and doesn't get to engage with them in a deep way. Right. The Immigrant Writing Workshop, um, that is a program at the New York Public Library, and that one is uh, for immigrants of all shapes and sizes to come in and take like eight different classes uh, led by an instructor. And they read and respond to a text, and then um, using that text as inspiration, uh, they write their own immigrant narratives. And so it's part writing workshop, part um, literature course, and the students are, you know, of every level of writing ability. It's not necessarily, it's not an MFA program, you know, Mm -hmm. it's... Uh, it's about storytelling. It's yeah. about you know learning how to tell your own stories. Um, yeah, and so for those for that class, we've been using our we have another series we do called the Face, where we invite writers to write a long form personal essay about their own face, mm-hmm. and they can take it in any direction. And so this first course, they're reading Ruth Ozeki, uh, the Japanese American Canadian yeah. mm-hmm. writer. Uh, she did, she's also a Zen, Zen Buddhist priest. Mm-hmm. So her uh, installation of the face series, she did a Buddhist mirror meditation where she stared into a mirror for three hours and recorded wow. thoughts. And so it's kind of an extraordinary book, and I think mm-hmm. the students are really responding to it in interesting ways. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So um, what advice as a publisher do you have for aspiring writers? We. <laughs> read, read, read everything you can pay attention 
Mm-hmm. Um, start to notice what writers are doing and how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to, uh, you know, contemporary literature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, read new books. Go to bookstores. Ask booksellers what they're reading, what they're excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, you will start to find the books that speak to you and inspire you. Um, I am always kind of taken aback in my, um, you know, my side gig that I sometimes do as a freelance editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm often taken aback how many aspiring writers are not readers. Mm-hmm. Why are you wanting to contribute to a field that you don't participate in? Mm-hmm. Like it just... Um, and it shows in the writing. If someone is not a reader, you can tell in an instant because you know anyone can like write words on paper, but to really understand language and to be able to use it and craft it, you have to be fluent in it. And I don't mean fluent like just like I speak. I mean fluent in understanding the way a language works. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the basic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on a further level, if you're trying to, if you have something you've written and you want to get published, then you can start to pay attention to individual publishers Mm -hmm. and individual agents, you know, like after you have read all that great contemporary literature, you know, start to read the acknowledgement sections at the backs of the books and start to learn which agents are representing the kinds of books Mm -hmm. that you like, which publishers are publishing them. You can go to events at bookstores and, you know, often uh, someone who works with the book or with the author or, you know, talk to the author themselves and just Mm -hmm. start to learn about um, how they did it and what they did. Yeah, and following up on your uh, excellent advice, do you have any current literature recommendations for our readers and listeners? Oh, man. You know, part of the tragedy of being a publisher is that you spend so much time on your own books, it doesn't leave you with a lot of time to read other books. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to uh, a lot of audiobooks. Um, mm. I am about to take a trip next week to Kerala. Mm-hmm. It's my first time to India, first time to that part of the world. So yeah. this is not super contemporary, but I just finished listening to The God of Small Things. By oh, Alan yeah, Daddy that's Roy. such an yeah. amazing novel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm still kind of devastated. It's amazing. Incredible. So, like, contemporary books. I mean, what's the last really new thing I read? I loved Barbarian Days by William Finnegan. It's a memoir about Mm -hmm. surfing and war journalism. Mm, Um, Interesting. uh, It's also a very inspiring book, just the way he writes about surfing. Even if you're not a surfer, uh, it just goes to show that anything can be fascinating if you you know, really dive into it. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I should have been more prepared for this question. <laughs> this is always a good answer. Um, I'm reading Dennis Johnson's Tree of Smoke, his mm-hmm. epic Tolstoyan uh, Vietnam novel, mm-hmm. and I'm really loving uh, that. Um, my two-read shelf is, is massive. Um, uh, gosh, what else? What else did I just finish reading? Uh, in uh, to to self horn to a little bit, you know. In addition to um, temporary people, like on a different end of the spectrum of the kinds of books we publish, we just found out last night that our 
um, our Brazilian novel, The End, by mm-hmm. this uh, wonderful writer, uh, Fernanda Torres. She wrote mm-hmm. her debut novel at 50. Um, she's an actress by training. And this is a delicious book about um, five aging male chauvinists. And mm-hmm. the, the book tracks the last two minutes of life for each of them. So mm-hmm. she's killing them off one by one. Yeah. And we just found out last night that it won uh, the Djibouti Prize for Best Foreign Edition in the Djibouti is Brazil's most prestigious yeah. literary awards. So wow. Wow. we're pretty thrilled about that. Yeah, that's fantastic. If, yeah. if temporary people sounds like heavy lifting, then it can be. Uh, it's a book that you can't breeze through. You really have to engage with it. If mm-hmm. you're looking for uh, kind of a, a breezier reading experience, like definitely read The End. It is mm-hmm. deliciously wicked. Mm-hmm. It actually got my favorite negative review we've ever received. Oh, <laughs> What was it? Where um, <laughs> it was a reviewer who, it was an unsigned review. You mm-hmm. know, some of the uh, review outlets have anonymous reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so clear <laughs> that the reviewer was a man uh-huh. who was very wounded by the portrait of men in the book. <laughs> and uh, the last line of the review was, this is an unforgiving portrait of men at their worst. <laughs> and I thought, I'm putting that on the cover. That's, exactly <laughs> That's yeah. wonderful. Oh, very nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. Um, this, sure. is, this has been absolutely wonderful and super enlightening. Um, so is there a way that our listeners can get in touch with you or get in touch with Restless Books in general if they have any questions or want to follow up? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a website. <laughs> yeah. Um, my email's on that website. Mm-hmm. You can email me. It's nathan at org. Um, you can certainly sign up for our Restless Readers Club. It yep. will send you one of our I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> I recommend it. Yeah, it's um, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and if you're... You can sign up for our newsletter. We have news about events that we throw around the country when our authors are on tour. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can come say hello in person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Um, And thanks to our listeners. For those of you who want more information or would like to subscribe to our podcast channel, please visit our website at www.circulatingspaces.com. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay tuned for our next episode. Until next time.